From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. This past week marked a big step for the men's basketball program, re-entering the top 25 for the first time in 14 months following their upset of West Virginia in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. But success often makes the hunter the hunted, and Florida's first outing following that national recognition was spoiled by underdog South Carolina. On today's show, we'll chat with FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry about the eventful week in hoops, the retirement of legendary soccer coach Becky Burley, and memories from the 14 Super Bowls he covered in the PAT. Then, Juco transfer Osai Osifo shares his remarkable journey from being an elite rugby star in South Africa to an SEC basketball player in Gainesville. But first, While Wednesday's game against South Carolina certainly had trap written all over it, you never know what to expect in college basketball, especially in the year of COVID. So to open our chat with Chris, we discussed what caused the disappointing result against the Gamecocks and what's next. It's a a really difficult loss when you're talking about they were riding a four-game winning streak, you know, having beaten Tennessee. You and I, we had that conversation a couple weeks ago after a big win, obviously, and then be West Virginia, you know, you, you're, you're coming home, you're on your, you're, you know, you're playing a team that's, that's coming off a, a, a really bad loss at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt hadn't won a game yet. So uh, the circumstances were setting up such that you knew South Carolina was going to come in here angry. And yeah, I did write the story about, you know, how are the Gators going to handle prosperity uh, given that this was going to be their first game as a ranked team in 14 months and yet, you know, after the game, Mike White wasn't really playing with this um, storyline um, because he said that they were pretty good in practice the last two days. Uh, he said, you know, he goes, I don't, he said, I don't know if it was, uh, everything was the same as it was going into West Virginia, but uh, it, it wasn't far off. So this was more about um, this game, Adam, uh, there, what I was watching, there were a lot of blow buys by South Carolina uh, guys with the ball. Uh, Florida's defense was not, not very good, and Mike White said as much after. He says, putting it bluntly, you know, this is an average defensive basketball team. And he goes into every season and wants to be a, a, a top 20 team in, in defensive advanced metrics, and this one's hovering around 47 and 48. It's probably going to take a hit this week. I mean, there were too many easy baskets. Uh, there were too many second-chance opportunities opportunities um florida got crushed on the glass in the second half i think it was 27 16 second chance points for the game were 20 to 18 offensive rebounds were 13 to 8 yeah, this game was kind of you got the sense that florida had taken control of this game it was mm-hmm. well, the lead was only six with a little over six minutes to go and uh, uh aj lawson had just gotten his uh, his fourth foul he was on the bench as florida ran um, got a i think it was um Couple of, a block from Castleton that Appleby turned into a, a, a run-out slam dunk for, uh, for Omar Payne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, place is feeling pretty good. And then, just like that, it was, it was six points by South Carolina in less than a minute. Uh, tie game. Timeout Florida. Out of the timeout, 
uh, two more baskets by South Carolina with another turnover by Florida. Um, those are the things Mike White was talking about, some real bad decisions with the basketball, some missed shots. Florida was 0 for, 0 for its last eight from the floor, one of its last 10, 13 to one run over the last 545. I mean, that's a, that's a meltdown at the end of the game. Um, you know, to, to, to say it's because they were sitting around saying, Oh, you know, we're, 22 we're number 22 in the country we've arrived uh, that kind of seems kind of simplistic it was a good storyline for me going in the game and an, ob- <laughs> and an obvious one but uh when you when you hear the coach say that you know he thought that he thought they had their attention this mm-hmm. is just an, a thing of you know, south carolina come out and playing harder playing better and making the gators look bad and how good is the timing well it's it's not good at all because uh, Florida fell back. They had obviously just a really good chance to go into sole possession of second place in the SEC standings because LSU got hammered by uh, Alabama. Instead, it's a three-way tie now because Arkansas moved up. So it's Arkansas, Florida, and LSU. Florida goes to LSU on Saturday. Then next uh, Wednesday, uh, it's it's a it's a road game against Tennessee. So. Uh, you're, you know, you're looking at, you know, some, some difficult times here and you go from me writing about how did the Gators, uh, how will they deal with prosperity to how are they going to deal with adversity? So mm-hmm. it's the S-I-T-Y at the end uh, stays the same, I guess. Yeah, so you don't win all the games you're supposed to win, but you also necessarily lose the games you're expected to lose. And, and that goes back to, to West Virginia. Um, and, and one of the big reasons why Florida won that game was the way that, that Colin Castleton played. And it's funny, Chris, because when you see a transfer come in, the first thing you do is you look at the stats, right? You say, oh, he was at Michigan, you know, couple points, couple rebounds. You don't see much there. But then you look at what he's done as a member of this team. And I guess my question is, as now one of the few players in Florida history to win SEC Player of the Week twice in one season, is he performing even above what Florida expected when they brought him in. Well, I think what I think they they were excited about the, what they were, thought they were getting. But remember, you know, you can only go by what you've seen and what a guy has put on tape. And I think Colin Castle had put three points a game and two rebounds a game on tape. Mm-hmm. And I want to say in less than ten minutes a game. Um, and there were he, mixed in that was a lot of DMP. So he was getting so, some of those stats and you would consider scrub time or what have you. Mm-hmm. But when he got here and they saw his work ethic and they saw some of his fundamental kind of things, um, this is a guy who played one year under John Beeline, one year under Juwan Howard. So, you know, he, he was around an offensive coach and around a, a, a guy who's, who was in the NBA for 15 seasons playing in the post. So he, he had some skills about him and he had a work ethic about him. And, I mean, tonight, uh, yeah, he missed his last four shots. He only scored four points in the second half. But then you look at his stat line, he had 11 points. He had seven rebounds. He blocked seven shots. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, you know, they, 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 they X'd him out. That's what these coaches do before every game. This is, this is the guy we got to take out of the game. And they did that to Colin Castle in the second half. When he touched the ball, he got double teamed. A couple times he turned the ball over. He got a, he got a hell ball situation once. Um you know, and they were getting the ball out of his hands versus the last few games. You know, he's gotten the ball down there and been able to stick a few buckets in. But he was 4-12 from the field, and I think he came into the game, you know, uh, approaching 70% from the floor for the season. So he'd been playing really, really well. This wasn't his best game, but uh, 
the, the Gators have a legitimate low post threat uh, for the first time in a long time. I would say since Joe Kim Noah. Now, and, and I'll say this in case Patrick Young's listening. Patrick <laughs> Young would probably even admit this. Everyone knows Patrick Young was a great player. Everyone knows I love Patrick Young. The guy was Defensive Player of the Year in the Southeastern Conference. But uh, he wasn't a guy that would get in the get in the post, catch the ball in the post, and and create his own shot. He kind of did some other stuff in there. So uh, this is a this is a a, a very highly skilled player down there who I think is going to get a lot better and can get a lot better. Not like I said, not, not his best game tonight, but uh, there's, there's no reason to be down on Colin Castleton after this. We got an update this week on Keontae Johnson and, and the latest on his situation. Um, Chris, what, what can you tell us about that and, and what we know about his future? Well, I mean, the family put out a, a, a statement, which is obviously the first information of any kind that we've heard from everyone. have seen Keontae at all these games and him bouncing around and, helping coach the team and uh, being a cheerleader on the sidelines, which was all been good, especially when you think about where everything was uh, almost uh, two months ago. Um, but obviously the big news of this was a, a heavy hitting list of, of, of medical experts. And I'm just saying this is people, and I'll read, Cardiac Vascular Institute of Gainesville, the University of Washington Center for Sports Psychology, Massachusetts General Hospital at Harvard, Vanderbilt University, and Yale University School of Medicine. That's the people that came out with this statement saying that uh, Keontae Johnson's uh, situation was not related uh, to COVID-19. So um, I know there was a lot of speculation about this from the outset, and of course that was natural. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was reported that he had COVID, but it's, it's good to know that, that, you know, whatever comes from this and I'm not making any, I'm not jumping to any conclusions or anything like that, but this is the information we have now. Uh, the best news obviously about the whole thing is that, you know, we see Keontae every day. We see him smiling and, you know, we, we see him around his teammates. We see his, his teammates being so appreciative that he's able to be with them. Uh, and again, I go back to the uncertainty. Remember this program shut down for 15 days because, mm-hmm. Of what happened even after he was up and around and bounced around these guys weren't ready to play basketball they went home um and they didn't practice they didn't have meat they didn't do anything for 15 days so uh it's 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 an ongoing story obviously with him it's an ongoing story with this basketball team but uh uh where we were and where we are now i think it's a it's a pretty happy story we don't know how it's going to end maybe it's mm-hmm. going to have the ultimate happy ending but it's something that we'll just we'll just kind of watch play out this was just the latest step uh in terms of the latest information available yeah, you talk about you don't know how stories are going to end i think there's certain times people are around in positions for so long you assume they're always going to be there and, and this is of course about becky burley uh who announced this past week that she's retiring after leading the uh the gator soccer program since its inception over 25 years on the sidelines and it's just it's one of those things chris it's almost it's hard to compute because you can't imagine seeing anybody else down there and uh and i obviously worked intimately with them for for years and and got to know her you know on, on a really personal level but it's just it, it's news that it's hard to take even when you know it's coming from a place of you know it's completion it's wanting the next step the next challenge but that, that doesn't make it any easier to to stomach something like that yeah so where where were you in june of 1994 <laughs> No, I'm um, serious. I'm serious. Let's just let's let's, let's, we're put, let's put it in context. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I'm pretty sure I would have been at Timberidge Elementary School in Marietta, <laughs> Georgia. And there you in, go. In kindergarten or first grade. 
That's right. And so that was the that was when uh, Becky Burley was hired from Barry College, which I believe is some some somewhere in Georgia, NAIA place where she'd won a couple national championships. She was hired there to be head coach. She was 21. She was given the job to uh, build the Florida soccer uh, program from scratch in, in June of 1994 with the goal of opening the season uh, 15 months later. Of course, they opened the season in, in September of 1995, the same day that Florida uh, football opened that season against Houston. Um, about four hours earlier, there were 4,500 people at that game against Florida State. Florida won five to nothing, I believe was the final score, and away the Gator soccer program went. I mean, uh, from there, I think I'm, I'm going to do something lengthy on her down the line. Mm-hmm. But uh, you talk about 26 seasons. You're talking about uh, well over five or 500 victories on all, all told. She's, uh, I think, one of only two females in the history of NCAA soccer to uh, to win 500 games. Of course, they won the national championship in, in the fourth season. And that was a year, I think, after playing North Carolina and losing to them 8 nothing. And then they played North Carolina, which had won 11 of the previous 12 national championships, played them in North Carolina in Greensboro, beat them one nothing in the fourth year of the program's existence with players like Abby Wambaugh and Heather Mitz and Daniel Fotopoulos. Uh, as soon as she's eligible, she'll go in the Florida Hall of Fame, first ballot, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, slam, slam, slam dunk pick. Um, but more than that, Becky, uh, you ask around the, the Florida staff, She's one of the most popular uh, coaches uh, to ever come through here. She was a big fan of all sports. Um, she was a big fan of, of enjoying the sports, uh, you know, uh, out of season. She was kind of like the den mother when it came to arranging uh, uh, parties to watch games or tailgates and what have you. Um, she got together with other coaches and picked their brains about uh, philosophies and stuff. She, In the last uh, uh, several years, she's been highly into uh, – performance coaching and what what goes into elite performance she's worked closely with the name you may know brett ledbetter who's uh bounces around the colleges all around the country uh dealing with teams uh some high profile places from oregon to florida um performance clinics and what have you and i think that's where her uh her, her future lies i think but um big news uh surprising news to some uh, maybe not so surprising to others, but she does have eight more games left to coach. This hasn't been a great year. Obviously, Florida played in the fall, um, split their season, but fall in the spring. They've already played the SEC uh, tournament and what have you. Uh, so they're going to be they're going to play eight games. So Becky Burley's last game as coach will come in April, and uh, this will kind of be like a. Um, I don't know what did, what do they what do they call those things the the, the swan fare, song fare, right? farewell farewell kind of tours like yeah. Somebody's, some of these yeah. greats do. So she can do that. And certainly uh, she's earned that. And uh, I would imagine she's probably going to stick around and we're, we're going to still see some of Becky Burley, but uh, uh, I would love to see uh, the team finish strongly for her and uh, give her the kind of send out she deserves. Uh, not that she has to have it. Her, uh, her legacy is obviously cemented with that national championship and what she was able to to do over the years, uh, postseason bids, winning SEC championships, winning SEC tournament titles, and what have you. Uh, good for her, and uh, we wish her nothing but the best in in her next endeavor. Yeah, Becky is one of the most interesting people I've ever met, and I'm not not even among coaches, just people in general. Um, would certainly uh, we, we hope to have her on the show uh, down the road to kind of reflect back, but. She's oh, one of yeah. those people you, you you hear everyone talk about her, and, and if you don't know her, you haven't been, you wouldn't understand 
some of the tributes and, and why she meant so much to so many people as a coach of that program? Well, well all you have to do is uh, over the course of the next few weeks before whenever you get talk to her along the way, just ask some of the other coaches that you talk to mm-hmm. about Becky Burley and hear what they have to say about her. And, and, and that'll be a great indicator of, 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 of what she's meant to the program. There's a, there's a saying around here about team Florida, how the coaches all support each other. And, uh, she's at the heart of team Florida. And uh, she tells the story about uh, being in Yon hall back when they had you on, on, she was, she was in there eating. They just lost the, uh, the sec tournament, um, maybe the title game or, or maybe a, a semifinal or something like that. Because I think, I think they got shut out in the, in the, in the penalty kick phase. And she was walking from the cafeteria with her tray going to uh, going to sit down to eat. And she brushed up against Steve Spur. Best Steve Spur goes, he goes, Hey coach Becky. Maybe we should work on those penalty kicks, huh? <laughs> <laughs> she she still she she still remembers that one, but but that that told her back in the day that if he's watching, then everybody is watching because everything matters at Florida, and that's she kind of took her cue from that, and all the other sports began matter to her. She was a huge tennis fan, a uh, huge volleyball fan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and she's she's kind of grown up alongside Mary Wise. Probably they're they're probably they probably like like siblings almost. Uh, yeah. I mean, to, they've been here together for a half a century uh, combined. Yeah. So it, it obviously was, was a big story. And you saw on, 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 on Twitter when the announcement came last, uh, last Saturday, uh, people speaking up and talking about how Becky had, had impacted their lives. Yeah. There is, is more to that story. Uh, no question. But for now, I want to turn our attention to the PAT. Uh, and I want it to be about the Super Bowl, Chris, because the Bucks are in the Super Bowl. Um, which has not happened since almost 20 years ago when you covered the Bucks in the Super Bowl. And uh, I'm curious, just to, and, and it's a great opportunity for you to, to dust off the John Gruden impression, just your memories of, uh, of covering not just the Bucks, but Super Bowls in general, what it's like being a part of you know, the biggest event that, that we have in our society and in our culture. How's this for a trivia question, okay? I am the only person in history, journalist in the history of the state of Florida to cover a national championship in foot, to be a beat writer for a national championship college team and a Super Bowl champion. Wow. That's, that's pretty good. Now that may change if the Bucks win the Super Bowl this weekend, but I don't, I don't think so because I know most of the beat writers down there and I don't know that any of them were covering national championships recently, whether it's FSU or Florida or what have you, but, uh, always consider myself fortunate you're around Steve Spurrier for 10 years then your boss tells you we're moving you to Tampa to cover the Bucks um and to cover the National Football League so I moved down there and I had Tony Dungy for two years he was fired and then John Gruden who was a pretty entertaining guy to cover for seven years and even bigger than that when you arrive there you're talking about um a locker room that Super Bowl locker room you know, you're talking about uh, Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and John Lynch and Rondé Barber and Simeon Rice mm-hmm. and Keyshawn Johnson yeah. and Brad Johnson and uh, Mike Allstott. Uh, I mean, there there are a lot of really, really good players and really bigger than life in some cases personalities in that locker room, all overseen by a coach who was who was uh, a bigger than life. And one of the first things he did when he got there, when he was hired is that he, uh, he had that team meeting and he started talking about the defense. He goes, oh, you got, he's talking about how this defense is so great and everything. Well, I'm going to challenge you to be even greater. I'm challenging this defense 
to score nine touchdowns this season because they had scored, I think, four uh, hmm. the previous year. Um, nine touchdowns. You think you can do nine touchdowns. That's the number, and they wrote it. Nine touchdowns, okay? They, inter- they intercepted uh, Rich Gannon five times in the Super Bowl uh, six months later. They had two um, pick sixes, right? Dexter Jackson. They had right? three. They had three pick sixes. It three was two, sixes. two by Dwight, uh, two by Dwight Smith on the sidelines, and the last one by Derek Brooks with about a minute and a half left in the game. The Derek Brooks one was the ninth touchdown. Wow! Uh, by the defense for that season, and obviously it was the one that put him over, put him over the top, and uh, play that everybody remembers. But uh, what I remember talking about Super Bowls. I mean, it, people say, "Oh, I'm going to cover Super." The best thing you can do if you're going to do a story about one of your guys, uh, you need to do that in advance because the Super Bowl is better left to, to pick other people off and to do color because mm-hmm. it's not like anything you've, you've, you've ever been around. I mean, uh, I did 14 of them and only one wow. with, my own t- with my own team that I was covering in it. Other than that, you're going there. And if you think you're going to go in there and get an in-depth piece on a guy when he's sitting there and guys are going, hey, can you talk about uh, what, uh, what, what's your favorite uh, ice cream? Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, and you see you got uh, downtown Julie Brown hopping up right. on the stage right. with people. You got or kids guy, from guys the Tonight with, Show. Guys with puppets. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah it, it's <laughs> – <laughs> that's the Tuesday media uh, cluster. I mean, the, the, the two days that follow, if you get up early enough, you can get there and you sit at tables with guys and what have you. But, I mean, it, it just got so big. Uh, I mean, I think my first Super Bowl I covered was 1984 when I was a 25-year-old uh, at the Tampa Tribune and it came to Tampa. Um, the first one I covered away was in New Orleans. Uh, when San Francisco ended up beating the Denver 55 to 10, I think, in that game. Um, but it just got so much bigger. I mean, every, every year you'd go, there'd be more people. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I think uh, the, the last Super Bowl that I covered, which would have been 10 years ago, I think, my Facebook memory popped up today. I'd taken a picture of uh, – of uh, black eyed peas at the, at the, at the, at the press <laughs> conference. Show, yeah. yeah, no, no, no. It was at their, it was at their press conference when, yeah, yeah. When oh, Fergie wow. came walking, of course I had to take a picture of Fergie. <laughs> um, it became so formulated um, cover, co- covering a Super Bowl. And, it, and it's really cool to be there because, you know, you go on Radio Row and you would have a field day there. Just speak, and, oh, I and know. Guys come walking in, Hall of Famers or, or media personalities, and can we get you five minutes? And, and right, you know, they'll right. sit, they sit down and, and you don't know who you're going to have on that day. Right. Um, uh, and, and it, yeah, there, there, there's something about it. it. It wears on you. It's a draining, it's a draining week. Um, the game is, uh, sometimes or oftentimes doesn't, doesn't match up to the hype and what have you. I think that's been, it's been better lately with that. There's been some great ones in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, but, uh, my best memory of a Super Bowl. um, I mean, I have as much fond memories as doing the, the Rolling Stones uh, Thursday press conference mm-hmm. as I have doing the, the Super Bowl, the first Tom Brady Super Bowl, when uh, the Rams came back and Brady ultimately led him down the field for the field goal. And, of course, that was the Super Bowl right after 9-11, the mm-hmm. U2 halftime show with the yeah. names of all the uh, 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 tower victims. Yeah, so uh, great week. Um, it's a shame. Uh, I was talking to somebody today. It's a shame. Uh, Tampa has really blossomed as a town downtown. They've done a great job around the river and what have you. And if, if you've seen some of the pictures, it looks absolutely beautiful, but nobody can go to the game. Nobody can right. go down there. Everything's, but at the same time, I think Tampa will put on a show, but it's turned out, it's turned out to be quite the storyline. And uh, it's just, it's just bizarre that Tom Brady is a Buccaneer. It's just bizarre, but I think it's really, really cool too. I, I think, I wonder 
do you think people, this is a, this is your PAT, Adam. Do you think, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people, probably you included, given what he did to you that, that one year. It, do you dislike Tom Brady because of his, uh, because he's won so so much, like a Yankee or something like that? I don't know if I dislike Tom Brady for that reason. I, I dislike him because I find him boring. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can hold the, you know, you could debate the deflate gate, but I mean, he is on record as having cheated, right? That's mm-hmm. a very public thing that happened. Um, and I, I do hate that he caused me the most painful uh, <laughs> sports night of my life. But I, it's really challenging for me, though, because I also have most of my families from Tampa Bay. They're all huge fans, so I, I can't root against them. I feel somewhat agnostic. I don't, I don't want Tom Brady to have more success, though I do say... I think if he does win this game, it makes it hard to to avoid the maybe greatest athlete ever conversation. Yeah. To, it, it would be hard to deny the accomplishment if it does go down on Sunday in Tampa. By the way, it's hard to deny that maybe the Falcons had something to do with that meltdown also. Not just one just because of Tom Brady. But. They, they did. They did. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. That, that beautiful reminder four years later. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, in yeah. any case, it'll be an interesting Super Bowl. It's going to be a different one for sure, but... We'll see how it plays out in uh, in Tampa Bay. And next week, we'll have a chance to talk about it as well as uh, the latest with Gator basketball. How do they bounce back from this very difficult week that we talked about just a few minutes ago? Uh, we will see that as well. But in the meantime, make sure to follow Chris. You can follow him on Twitter at GatorsChris. Read all of his stuff there and on FloridaGators.com. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Adam. Basketball is truly a global game, but that doesn't mean it's the dominant sport in many parts of the world, especially in Africa. Osayo Sifo hails from South Africa, where hoops was hardly a priority for many, even Osifo himself, until an injury in his chosen sport changed his course. There are many twists to his amazing story, which we asked him to begin at the beginning. Uh, I grew up in Fertienegeng, South Africa. That's a small town an hour south of Johannesburg. A lot of people are familiar with Johannesburg. And um, my family moved from Johannesburg when I was about four years old. Uh, I was um, a son of two immigrants, first child of two immigrants, um, one from Nigeria, my dad's from Nigeria, and um, my mom from Zambia. So they had just um, just got started up. I stayed with my mom while my dad was finishing school in uh, Durban. And when he got his PhD, we moved out of Johannesburg and went to um, Verenigheng. That became like my family home where I grew up. And uh, there we had, they had three more other kids, um, a, a girl, a girl, and then a boy. So grew up in a really um, religious household, uh, family, you know, like most immigrants based, really forced you to uh, strive for academic success mm-hmm. above everything. And, uh, you know, since they had, they moved there without anything. They moved there when they were both 18 and uh, family didn't have much to give them when they came. So they really taught me. Um, drilled into me principles of working hard, uh, having faith, you know, in a lot of circumstances and uh, just just being a great person. And, and I saw, too, that, that your parents were both professors. Is that right? Or they, they both worked for a university. Is that is that right? Uh, no, no, that's not completely right. It's almost it's, it's pretty close. Um, my dad, there's a university in the area. It's called Vol University of Technology. Vol is like the, the district. So he's um he's a dean of that university. OK. He got his um, PhD in chemical engineering. So he's a dean of that university. And uh, my mom 
while we were in Johannesburg with the four kids, she she was finishing up law school. So she finished law school when I was about 13. And uh, yeah, she she graduated from that. She's a lawyer. She's a, yeah, she's practicing law. So it seems that academics were really important to your parents and in your household. What role did sports play? Was that or was that always something there as well? Or, or was that something that, that you sort of brought into to the, the fold there? Yeah, um, sports was sports was interesting. Um, sports was something I was passionate about, and my dad was passionate about. But my dad, my dad faced a really hard life to get to where he was, and sport was something he loved. I would say just as much as me. But for him, it was painful that he didn't. He wasn't in a place in the environment where there was a lot of opportunity for for him to play. So he didn't. He didn't really. Um, I would say he encouraged me to play, but he really didn't push me, and you know didn't flare up my passion because he didn't want me to dis- be disappointed. You know, South Africa is a great country, but uh, sports is limited compared to like European countries in America. So uh, him not knowing, you know, what the future holds, you can see I was athletic, but he just, you know, he just encouraged it as a hobby and uh, still put academics first. My mom still put academics first. I was the one who would, you know, really kind of push them to take me places and, you know, to come watch, not because, you know, they didn't support, but, you know, sometimes I was I was also like lacking in my grades, and they were like, uh, "You know, <laughs> I'm not gonna come watch if you're not if you're not passing mathematics." Right. So yeah, but I mean, sports was something we were passionate about. My dad just it was just the reality of the situation. You know, what I was gonna be good at wasn't really you know there weren't really much opportunity for it in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that uh, you know basketball came later in your life. Can you talk about early on how you got involved with sports? I know it's it's a few sports that uh, that people in the states probably aren't super familiar with. Yeah, I started out uh, with cricket. Y'all should be familiar with cricket. Famous in Europe and Australia and South Africa is really good at cricket. I started with cricket in the third grade. I was a bowler and a batsman. I was just average at both, but I just enjoyed after school time just being out there batting bowling, running, just sweating. It was really fun. Fourth grade, I was allowed to start track. And um, I wasn't really fast, but I noticed I could jump a little bit. So I, I started with high jump fourth grade. My best friend through the first three years, he st- we both started track at the same time. But when he started, he started as a sprinter. I just divert for a little bit. He started as a sprinter and he's a really great sprinter now. He's like, um, he's, he's, he's about to like run sub nine seconds. So wow. He's, he's a really he's a really big part of my story um, because as best friends, that first year we started track, he went to nationals and won the 100 meters uh, for fourth graders. And hmm. it was a big thing. I mean, I mean, the country was wild. He broke the record, too. And that was our first year. So I wasn't particularly good that first year. But seeing him do that was so inspirational at a young age. So fifth year, fifth grade, I stuck with it. I was like, okay, let me just do the high jump cricket. They're both in different seasons. That's all our primary school offered. I did the cricket. I did the high jump with him. He went to nationals again, won it again. Uh, by sixth grade, seventh grade, it was still only, it was still strictly high jump and cricket. And he was kind of like, okay, now, you know, it's funny. He was a kid, but he was like, bro, you got to see, they go into all these hotels. They take us, if you, if you in national, if you number one, so you got to find something you're good at. <laughs> So I did everything and I did everything. And I remember I stopped right before um, for long jump, sixth grade, right before nationals was uh, states. And I needed to get first or second and I got third hmm. and he was watching and it was it was a big blow. But, you know, that was the closest I went um, at that point to going to nationals. And he went on again, won it again. So um, 
um, primary school was first through seventh grade. We decided to go to the same high school. Hmm. And that high school was um, a, a boarding school, actually. It was about an hour from where we stayed in, like a, in the country. But um, the good thing about it is me and him, our, our friendship went beyond athletics. He's, he, was, he was a child of two immigrants, too. And he was the firstborn, too. So a lot of the values we had in our family they were pretty equal. Academic success, but, you know, our families kind of encouraged sports. And the decision to go to the boarding school was really the wisdom they gave from us. We wanted to, like, leave the area and, you know, be in a place where we can focus and uh, be, be something. It was really rare at our age. We were only, like, 13, 12. But hmm. we decided to go to the boarding school, and that was one of the best decisions I would say of my life, you know, we had two different experiences, but that, that school really, it really changed me. Uh, when, it, when we got there, I would say, just to, just to cut it a little quick, I would say two years later, I stuck with the track. I started rugby. Mm-hmm. I became a rugby star, really skinny, but just with heart. You just play rugby with heart and you look good. And rugby was the quickest way to notoriety. So, you know, I wanted to be popular. It's our new school. I'm trying to be... <laughs> And, you know, I didn't have much going for me, but they would, they would always say, yeah, this kid, this kid had heart. And I was an immigrant, but they would say I had heart over like a Zulu warrior. So they, they gave me like a South, they gave me a Zulu nickname. And when that nickname hit, I just became like the man on campus. <laughs> that 10th that grade year before I, I finally moved here, I was sticking with the track. I was telling him, hey, I might quit this because, you know, I started, I started playing basketball. This stuff is kind of fun. I actually went and started triple jump. You only allowed triple jump when you're in 10th grade. Once I started triple jump, I jumped the national best for boys my age. And wow. I mean, the people I was training with always seen me as, you know, the guy who follows around Tundo. Tundo is like the number one sprinter in the country. This guy's next to you seeing ball. And one day they were just like, hey, come jump and let's measure it. I mean, everybody in the, everybody in the stadium kind of like stopped. Like, wait, that boy, he, he's, he's only 15. He just jumped like 13 meters. Mm-hmm. I was, it was a cool moment, but at that moment, I, at that point, I kind of decided that, you know, I wanted to be a basketball player. You, you talked about sort of the, the fight and the, the heart that you showed, and I, I know that's also part of, part of your name. Can you, can you tell us the, the origin and the meaning of your name? My name is uh, Osai Osifo. That's the, that's, the, that's the shorter part. Osai means God is made. Mm-hmm. And my full name is Osaive, which is God has made you. So when you add my last name, my last name is Osifo, which is overcome tension. So when you combine the two names, it's Osaivez. God has made you to overcome pressure. So that's a, that's a Yoruba name. Osaive, God, Osaive Osifo. God has made you to overcome pressure. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, no, it's very cool. Yeah. Um, especially because of the, the journey you ultimately went on um, I know you took us through a lot of it, but in terms of the, the switch to basketball, it doesn't seem like that was a, a natural progression. So how did you go from being a rugby star, a track star? How did that lead to basketball? Um, I've always liked basketball, but like my, my dad always encouraged basketball. He thought it was one of the world's best sports. And, um, but it never went as far as me, you know, just dribbling down the street um, back home while my friends are playing soccer, and then they'll give me five minutes just to show them my new dribble moves. But uh, during my time at the boarding school, uh, I went through some injuries during rugby season that um, that kind of stopped me for a little bit. I remember I broke my thumb. I broke both of my thumbs in different mm. seasons. But when I broke my thumb, I was stuck in a cast for two months, and it would be my dominant hand because I broke, I broke it on the dominant hand. So, you know, just any athlete, any young kid, 
You know, I need I need time to to get away. The boarding school at um certain grades, you're not allowed to use your phone. So you need you need an outlet. You just need something to have fun while everybody's playing sports. They were playing hockey and everything. I said, okay, Dad, let me you know, and I, I got some time. Let's go to uh you know the Walmart kind of we call it micro, but the Walmart and let's get a let's get a basketball. We went there. We got this beautiful black and gold basketball. <laughs> beautiful, and you know like. I just wanted the black and gold one. It stood out so much. And I wanted one that stood out so I can get like people to be like, hey, let me hold that real quick. Mm. And it was like an orb. I came back to campus with it. When I pulled it out, everybody's like, whoa, let me see, let me see. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just to look at it, it was just like shiny and nice. And we had a court. The school was old. It was built in 1905. We had a court which is probably as old as the school. They had one hoop that was decent, and they had one hoop that was kind of breaking a little bit. I made sure I'm a hoop on a hoop that's breaking with my left hand until it breaks. I'm going to leave the crisp hoop crisp. <laughs> so I started hooping on it. And funny enough, the broken hoop was more hidden, so people wouldn't see me. I started left hand. And on, on game days, rugby days, you know, people would want to come over there just to release tension. We would just go three on, they'll go like, we'll go three on three, four on four real quick. And I would only have my left hand and I'll be doing pretty good against them. So they were kind of like, damn, when you get out of that cast, you're going to be tough. And yeah, I mean, I, I was just so excited that, that having that one hand too, it kind of just like built up the tension. I was like, oh my gosh, when I can actually do it between the legs and catch you on the other side. Right. Um, because, so once I got that left hand, uh, my um, my right hand out the cast, I mean, I was free. I just started playing every day. I spent all my afternoons there. So how, how do you go from doing that to saying, okay, I'm going to leave home and I'm going to go to the to the States and pursue basketball at, a, at another level? I mean, that, that's a pretty big jump. How did you yeah. how did you make that decision? Yeah, that's big. You know, I can take credit for, you know, deciding I want to go to a boarding school not too far from home. But, you know, that type of jump, that just happens. You kind of really don't decide it. You know, that was... I credit all of that to God. It just happened that I broke my arm, found a passion for basketball, and it just happened that my mom and dad had seen my passion for all these sports these years. And I had been collecting, like, Sportsman of the Year Award, Junior Sportsman of the Year Award at this school for rugby, track, cricket, and all the other stuff I used to chess, all the stuff I used to do. So they would be sending them to my uncle and kind of, like, sorting out the – they had been sorting out the legalities for a while. Um, just happened that my, my dad's, you know, closest brother stayed here in Dallas. And um, had, I had one son and was really interested in getting his son, you know, a sibling kind of. So they had already, like, already started working on the legalities and working out a deal to get me to come over here. And, you know, when I fell in love with basketball, it was just perfect. Because the next month, you know, he came to meet us. And he came, you know, bushy beard, dyed beard. And he came with this accent, and this accent was so funny. <laughs> and, I mean, he came with this straight American accent. He was he was telling me about Kevin Durant. I, you know, my um my sprinter friend, he he loves American. He loved American culture and everything. He knew Kevin Durant. He was sometimes telling me about Kevin Durant and everybody, but I really didn't. He'd come over there and tell us about Kevin Durant with this American accent. He'd be like, "Yeah, that's a bad dude, man. That's a bad dude." And I'm like, "Bad? What's bad?" Like, you know, so right. I would, I would just say it was God, honestly. I mean, that year was magical. Just me falling in love with basketball and how I came to meet my uncle, how he was already willing and how my dad was already willing for me to come here. You know, obviously they still had academics in the back of their minds. College is here better. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my uncle wanted to take that chance to see if I could really be something. 
And, you know, I just accredited God. That was a year also I prayed. Remember, I prayed with my basketball one night, late at night, maybe midnight. I was like, God, make a way for me. I actually started to try and make a team at the school. I kind of faced like some type of violence for it. Like uh, people were actually getting mad, you know, they're like, bro, why does this guy want to quit rugby? Why does he want to quit track? You know, mm-hmm. like, bro, we don't have basketball here. You're not going to be a great basketball player. You're not going to go to the States. Like you, you can't do that. And, you know, you don't want to hear that. And, you know, also like, I didn't know how far I wanted to go with it till that point. But when they said that really like challenge, I took it personally, you know, like Michael Jordan said, and I was just like, uh, you know what? If first opportunity I get to leave the school, I love y'all, but I'm out of here. <laughs> just to prove y'all, just to prove y'all wrong. Right, right. And as soon, I mean, I hadn't decided that I was gonna leave when my uncle, you know, kind of, and my parents kind of um, gave me that option. But I went to school and I told them all about it. I was like, y'all don't want to start start a team? I'm out of here. I, I was bribing the, I was bribing the principal, the deputy. I was like, if y'all don't start a team, I'm literally leaving. And you know, they they were like, no, it's too soon. We, I was like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> and and then you did, and then you left. Yeah. Um. What was it like in terms of the, the culture shock? I, mean, I can imagine you, you said the accent alone was something that was hard to get used to. But when you got to, to Texas to, to live with your with your uncle, uh, what you know, what are some of the things that just seemed strange to you as you kind of went about that that transition? Um, actually, I don't know when I when I got here, I was just so driven, I would say that a lot, I think a lot of stuff that will interest a lot of people. I mean, it really didn't matter to me. The boarding school, my the boarding school I went to always prided himself in saying that it'll it'll turn you into a man. It'll make you ready for the real world. And you don't believe it till you left, but till you leave. But I mean, when I got here, I don't even remember like a significant culture shock apart from like like the academic part of it. Mm-hmm. I, and we can talk about how you know different it was playing, but like as far as like American culture, I was already into the music, into coming like coming the styles. You know, the language was really funny though. You know, hearing people, people went from saying water to water. It was like, <laughs> you know, and there was a bit of a, a fight between me and everybody. Like, I don't want to say it the way you say it. Hmm. And and they're like, sooner or later, you're going to say it the way we say it. You might as well start saying it now so we can start laughing at you. <laughs> and yeah, that was really funny. But I've surrendered. I'm trying to talk like y'all now. And <laughs> culturally, I mean, I was really fascinated. when I get When I got here, I knew America was good. It was a good like country, but I was focused on basketball and found it, and finding out why, you know, maybe maybe I could go back home and, you know, teach them something in my old age. But it was really like I was really like interested, like the politics, the politics side of it. I'm like, damn, the founding fathers really knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Like they were like on some third eye like level, like <laughs> like constitution applies probably a million years ago and two million years to come. Like it's just so sound and everything's like well thought through and I'm like that's what American I mean African politics needs so yeah that's yeah that's really what I what I think about when I got here in terms of the basketball seven you, you've talked about how much that changed um, so what was it like when you, you know, you're kind of big man on campus in South Africa you are you are the basketball guy and then you get here and it's like a different game all of a sudden and I know it, it humbled you a good bit I'm, I'm curious how you kind of worked through that and, and got past it Whoa, yeah, it humbled me. But it was so, it was so fun. I mean, I don't know, sometimes you wish you could start again. And I feel like I was like granted that opportunity. When I was leaving, everybody would tell me like how hard it would be. And when I came here, the first thing I said, like I, it's probably the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I said, hey coach, 
I want to be uh, top 100 on the ESPN or whatever. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, bro, he was like, bro, that's, that's not how, I was like, no, yes. And then I remember all the guys in the class would be like, bro, does this guy know what he's saying? <laughs> I just, I just didn't care. But I got here during Christmas break and I was itching to play. So I went to the wreck and that's when I got the awakening. Mm-hmm. I went to the wreck and I was like six, six, four. So I went to the wreck. I was dunking on the other hoop or whatever. And uh, the guys were like, hey, you want to play? We got four. So we're going to play four on four. I was like, okay, okay, okay. And um, boom, caught the ball, travel. <laughs> they didn't call travels on you back in South Africa? No, nobody. <laughs> nobody. I mean, some of those rules I, I kind of made up when we played on the spot. I, like, <laughs> I, I think LeBron takes two steps after he wants to pass. But Maybe three. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah, it looks like James Harden looks like he takes three. So it's, it just depends how you make it look. I mean, they call it travel, pass the ball. I'm missing layups. Like, I'm like, wait, no. Like, I can't tell them this, but I made these in South Africa. Missing layups. You know, I'm, I'm about some of the guards on my size, some of the bigs on my size too, but they're like way stockier. So mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just not fitting in. The game ends and we lose and they like take a, like a little recession before they start the next game. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not getting picked up again. And I mm-hmm. definitely didn't get picked up again. So I go <laughs> to the other hoop and I'm just like playing around and I didn't get picked up again. I didn't get picked up again. And I went home and I was like, like, I was just laughing, like, yeah, this is not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Like, this might be, this might be, like, way harder than I thought. But it was, it was, I don't know, it was kind of just, like, so exciting, you know, to see. Because I knew I was going to do it, no matter what. I knew I was going to get to some level to where I would be, like, really good. I was going to achieve my goal. And I still believe I will. But it was just, like, really interesting to see how hard it will actually be. So you're playing in high school in Texas. Then you ultimately get to... Eastern Florida State College at the JUCO level, and and now you're in the SEC. How has your basketball growth followed that line? Like, who's who's been most instrumental in helping you keep improving to where you can make these jumps in in your career? You know, it's just coaches along the way, coaches and players along the way. McKinney Boyd had a great program. The assistant JV coach helped me a lot. He believed in me. He kind of told me, you know, he was he was a realist for me. He was the one I was just telling. Yeah, I want to be this and that. I mean, he loved me and all, but he would say, bro, you need to get up. You especially need to get up a thousand shots every day, maybe 500 before school, 500 after school, if you want to be anywhere near that good. And he's like, he always tells me, he's like, man, those kids, you know, they can fly. They can, you know, they can, they can do this. You got a lot. You got to learn the fundamentals and stuff. It's really just coaches along the way. My uncle's been really helpful. He's really learned a lot about basketball himself these past few years, but uh, he just really kept my head right. You know, I try. Maybe if I'm falling into uh, falling into this trap, just joining American culture too quick, forgetting where I'm from. You know, doing stuff I never did before. He kind of just just remind me of my whys, and he was really good with that. Until I got to junior college, though, um, the individual aspect about it was was just purely me, where I wanted to play, which AAU team I wanted to join, and just me figuring out my through instinct, just figuring out where I wanted to be until. I instinctively decided to join Eastern Florida there. The head coach really helped me a lot, improving my game and understand basketball. Um, it's just a whole bunch of garage workouts. I mean, anywhere. I mean, I used to work out so much those high school days. The first year I got there, I played JV. The next year, I mean, the jump was significant because I only had four months. I was not going to be a junior on JV. So I just <laughs> got there. This was like my first time on a hardwood floor 
since the wreck that I was like embarrassed at. My first time hard from floor, learning travels, pivots, we're going through all the drills, screens, what's the illegal screen, how many steps I can actually take, not James Harden steps, you know, learning that. And like in that five months, I just absorbed as much. I played on varsity then five months later, that was the summer. Played on varsity when we started in the fall, uh, started the first few games. And uh, that summer was my, the next summer was my first AU summer. I remember I was ranked in Texas 140th. And that was my first summer playing AU basketball. And it was, I mean, 140 is not, not nowhere like really good, but nobody in my city had done it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, bro, this guy just got here literally 11 months ago. This guy was at the wreck. We didn't pick him up 11 months ago. <laughs> this guy was here 11 months ago. Look at the rankings. The only person from, and it's, it's, it's McKinney, but there's a lot of small, you know, suburbs around him. Frisco. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no one. It was all deep Dallas, Duncanville, you know, where Tyrese Maxey and them is from. And you have the Houston areas, uh, Katy, Texas, where De'Aaron Fox is from. There's a lot of kids from there. But this area, there was not a lot of people. And they were like, out of all the people, they put him on there. They were like, this is interesting. And it was just from rebounding, playing defense. I, I mean, I don't know. That just motivated me. I know that your coaches, your teammates have talked about your energy. And if if there's nothing else there day to day, they know they're going to get tons of energy from you. Um, How did that become kind of your superpower? And what does it mean to you to be known as the guy that supplies that all the time? Yeah, that one is natural. I've always been there. It took it took a while to to realize it, but even in the rugby days, I didn't have a lot of weight for me going. I wasn't the fastest. It's just a lot of energy um, that I can give just from the passion of playing and the excitement I get from my potential. I always believed in like what I could do, and that that always excites me, makes me going. Um, what was the second part of that question you asked me again? Yeah, you know, what what it means to you to be that guy on the team that everybody looks to and saying this guy is going to give us that energy. It's it's it feels good. It's an important part. It's an important part of the team. Um, in the past few years, I've really, I've seen the importance of it. And it changes practices. It changes games. Energy is really everything. Um, over the past few years, it seems like it's being more and more celebrated. We're seeing like how people like Kawhi started rebounding. Energy is like translated into rebounding. They're, they're starting to show people superstars like Kawhi. They're like, oh, if you can't rebound, if you're not going to play. If you're not a team player, you can't play. I don't know. It just, it just seems like lately it's been taking a bigger role. And that's when I started to notice that, like, this is what I do, kind of. Um, I'm, just, I'm just glad to give energy. I'm just glad to, to play. I'm grateful to play. I'm still grateful after all these years, after the, you know, small success and small, like, setbacks I've had. Still, I'm still the kid that, um, you know, prayed to be here. So I'm going to just come out and, you know, be grateful. You know, that's that's my way of being grateful too. just come on, just have energy for every day, have passion for every day. Hmm. Well, Sai, uh, your story is is amazing and we're glad to hear this part of it. And we we know that a few years from now, there'll be even more stories to tell about where you go next. So thank you so much and, and good luck to you the rest of the season. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the Orange and Blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.